Alrighty, well, welcome to another episode of the Grit Per 60 podcast. Uh, I'm your host for the day, uh, Brendan, also known as TCJ. Uh, and today uh, I'm joined by Chris Mackling of the Jet Centric podcast. Uh, Chris, how are you? I'm decent. I just got out of COVID protocol, actually, but uh, doing all right. I wasn't too sick, but my work made me stay home and get tested on uh, Thursday. So haven't done much in the last couple of days other than chill out. So I'm all right. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Chris, uh, what, what all do you guys do with the uh, Jet Centric Pod? Um, we're a fan podcast by fans for fans. Um, we don't, uh, I was going to say we don't have any affiliation because we don't have any affiliation to anybody, uh, as far as media or anything like that, but we do often have local media, sometimes national media, former players on our podcast. Um, but mostly what we are is a group of really passionate, um, there's about four or five of us that are, um, heavily involved in the podcast, uh, passionate fans, some of us uh, for 30 plus years, others more uh, recent Jets fans. But uh, we're just passionate fans. And we think that we have in Winnipeg, we're probably the only voice that is willing to be critical of the hockey team. And that's kind of our, our lane. And we're not scared to be in that lane. And we maybe don't have the audience we would like because of that but that's that's how we feel and I, I feel like you should fan how you'd like and I think fans that are honest deserve a, a voice and that's why we have the Jet Center podcast yeah um we've had Brian on in the past I think after the Jets um swept the Oilers um so it's nice to get another member of your guys's pod on right there for sure yeah um, so yeah, uh, for those who missed it, um, amidst all of the, uh, COVID issues, uh, with the NHL this week, um, the jets kind of, to me, it's like an honorable discharge, I guess. Um, yes. Paul Maurice, their head coach stepped down, um, not necessarily for personal reasons, just, you know, didn't think he had it in him to, uh, turn the ship around, I guess, uh, felt like the team needed a new voice. So rather than, um, I guess, get fired after coaching there for what, nine years is what I, the number I saw. Yeah. Um, they say the saying eight is the parts of eight, I guess. So anyway, so that is, um, where the jets sit. And so we wanted to get, um, I guess kind of the jets fan point of view on it. Um, personally, how are you feeling? Well, it's a funny thing because, you know, it's a moment long overdue. Um, so there, that, that goes without saying, um, I think he should have probably lost his job after the St. Louis, uh, series, I guess that's two years ago now, uh, or three years ago. Yeah. Cause there was the St. Louis series and the bubble season then last season. So yeah, three seasons ago, I think that was when we kind of saw like, okay, they've hit their, they've hit their peak and this is about it. And, uh, true North, uh, really dragged their feet and and stuck behind him and gave him a new contract and all those things and now to be honest it's a little disappointing how they went about things is they've replaced him with somebody that's new to the staff but is still one of their guys and they didn't replace anybody else and um 
their defensive coach, Charlie Huddy, has been the coach since day one, and we've never had a good defense. Um, even when we had a stacked defense in 17-18 uh, with Bufflin, Truba, Morrissey's rookie year, Enstrom, we still struggled on defense. And to me, I have a lot of problem with them not fully committing to this. And I agree a hundred as a hundred percent as you can be that this isn't a, a resignation, a resignation. Um, this is a firing. Um, I've said for probably three years that there would never be a day when Mark Chipman would go on um, to behind a podium and say, we've fired Paul Maurice. They would either promote him or he would resign that there would never come a day. And I was, I was proven right yesterday. Yeah. So um, my personal feelings on it were um, it was a good thing for the jets because um, I just always felt like he wasn't getting the most out of that team. Like look at some of the advanced numbers on, on the jets the last couple of years. Like and you look at the talent um, that's been on those teams, like the two don't, line up like yes the Jets' defense has been um at least before this year uh was very clearly in just in a state of disarray uh mm-hmm. but the amount that they were relying on connor hellbuck was um almost criminal like it should not have they, gotten to that point they were the second worst team defensively uh basically over the last two years um it's just not it's just unacceptable you don't they don't make the playoffs without Connor Hellebuck or even close and is it it was never talked about enough it was just no they're a good team they've got good players they score and you and we talked about it a lot on our podcast but in the mainstream media you just never heard this you know this team isn't very good um they have great shooting percentage, elite goal scoring, and elite goaltending. Everything else, way, way below average. And um, I think this is, I'm sad to say it, I think this is what we're going to see going forward with Dave Lowry because he's even less of an offensive-minded coach. Um, he's in his first press conference last night after the game, he mentioned grit, (laughs) um, and needing more grit and less shooting. And, um, I just don't see much changing sadly right away. Um, and they need significant changes. They need significant changes, uh, mostly on their special teams. Um, but five on five play needs, needs an adjustment as well. Yeah. Um, and we're going to welcome in a, um, new fighter here uh connor how nice of you to drop by here um my lovely wonderful co-host nice to see you again I, yeah i had to deal with a bunch of technical issues fitting into this uh i finally got all put all the fires out still some work to do but i can join you guys in for right now um how are you guys doing a lot better than you are probably <laughs> probably <laughs> i'm i'm sick i'm dealing with hackers yeah. Oh man. It's been, it's been an evening. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, Connor, we were just talking about, um, Paul Maurice getting, mm-hmm. uh, honorably discharged. Um, <laughs> that doesn't seem like the right, cause he discharged himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But <laughs> honorable <laughs> discharge doesn't seem like the, I mean, I, I mean, it's like, 
because that doesn't that usually i don't know i feel like that usually comes from other people honorably discharging but yeah but basically know. nobody wanted to i'm not a military guy so what do i know is what, uh, we're, is what we're getting at yeah he, he was definitely fired and um what I find amusing is all the national and local media saying, what a class act stepping down in the same sentence as saying, I've never seen a coach resign before. That's <laughs> like, well, maybe, maybe because he didn't really resign. <laughs> so amusing. Just uh, couldn't put two and two together. Just like I said, I, I saw that coming not to, to repeat myself so quickly, which I often do is I saw a resignation coming uh miles away and years ago that he would never be fired by this organization they love him too much i don't know i from everything that i could see as an outsider looking in it it did look like he was going out on his own terms from what i could tell if if you um, watch the, the sorry if you watch the kevin shovel day off press conference after maurice's Mm-hmm. He had about four or five Freudian slips where he said, I made this decision. We made this. Uh, he made oh. this decision. And it was it was a catastrophe when. And that's why we haven't seen any clips of the shovel day offside of it, because he continually referenced when when I when I talked to him about this, he said, no, he's sure this and that. And it was just it was uh, that was kind of an ass show once Chevy started. Started speaking, and and also to go a little further into what I was saying about that, I never thought he would be fired. He's beloved in this city. Uh, the mm-hmm. fans love him like you've never seen a below-average athlete or coach be loved before. <laughs> he, he just people ate up everything he said. Um, nobody wanted to fire him other than a small group on Twitter up until this year people wanted to stand behind him the media loves him because he's a good quote and the the ownership just completely in love with him obviously i mean he's been here so long and not to not a lot of success so reading between the lines and also some freudian slips it, there's it was in no way um he walked into shoveldale's office and said i i quit it was a mutually decided thing that happened thursday night friday morning for sure yeah that's always been the weird thing for me is like whenever i see you know like a coach gets fired or whatever and you would see like the list of like right these are the coaches who have been who have the, like the longest tenure with a team right now and you look at the list you're like all right mike sullivan that makes sense all right all right um you know um that was the first thing i just came john to cooper head, but yeah john cooper like okay that makes sense and it's like paul maurice and you're like what have the Jets done compared to those two teams? <laughs> They've won three. They won three playoff series. That's it in nine years. Yeah, it's uh, he's only won. He's only won eight playoff series in 24, 26 years as a coach. Is the do you think <laughs> the team is in a better spot when he left than when he got there? No, I don't. Oh, oh, sorry. I thought you meant today. Um, yeah, a hundred percent. When he got hired, actually, I, I went to the first game that he coached because he actually his first game was against the Coyotes, um, and I actually got interviewed on TV after the game, and <laughs> and I said he's the right guy for the job right now, but he's not the right guy to lead any team to a Stanley Cup. He's a great guy to turn your team around, um, get 
a little bit out of them. He's not like a guy that's going to come in like a Boudreaux or a Carlisle or a Sutter and get them going for three years. And then, and then he's gone because nobody likes him. It's, it's kind of the other way. Everybody likes him. So he turns around his teams, no problem. But what happens is he's a country club, right? And so the good players get ice time, no matter what the young players don't get the ice time. And so you stop seeing results because there's no change. You know what to expect every night. It's the same system. It's the same (laughs) low event hockey. And so after a year or two, two and a half, three years, um, it it gets tiring. But sure, good hire at the time. And that 17-18 run, I'm going to be honest, I could have coached them to the to the Western conference final, that team was stacked. They were the best team in the league and they didn't need coaching. They had the best roster and, um, you know, best goalie in the NHL, second best goalie, whatever you want to call it, Hellebuck. And uh, they got hot and then they got goalied by flurry in, uh, in the finals. Right. So he's a good hire for a team that, that is starting a rebuild, but you're never going to win a cup with him. Yeah. My thing with, um, Paul Maurice is well on the one hand it's pretty it's somewhat impressive that he made the playoffs uh five times with Winnipeg went up to that point in their playoff or in their franchise history including Atlanta they had no playoff appearance or they had the one playoff appearance and no playoff wins um so I guess on the one hand like he has that going for him but on the other hand it's always funny to me that whenever the Jets are good, you never really hear Paul Maurice pop up and Jack Adams running, you know, like, oh, I don't know. Yeah. I'm just thinking about that. Well, there it, again, we just talked about it, um, you know, about how it was all Hellebuck the last two years, literally Hellebuck and elite goal scoring, elite shooting uh, PDO their way for a whole season or two kind of thing. Right. Um the, the the defense well, has been bad season, at least yeah well the season before too they yeah. they were they were as bad defensively as detroit um that's hard to do yeah and they still had impressive. a yeah well it was because you've got again you've got in in my book there's not even a conversation that hellebuck's the best goaltender in the nhl and you've got again you have elite scores and that's when when line a was was with them as well right so i mean you're scoring I don't want to say at will, but that <laughs> those top two lines could score. And then uh, the rest of the time, man, it's scary. Tyler Myers, that, <laughs> that type of defense, not, not fun, not good. I mean, there's what the one year that like Dmitry Kulikov was like on the top pairing. Oh, there's a constant. <laughs> uh, yeah. I think what I said was uh, if you're playing, um, a guy like Vinny Hanel, uh, you know, a guy like Nathan Boyu over Billy Hanel, um, that's where you're going to have trouble. And that's what we've seen for the last six years is our fourth line and our defensive pairings are including these guys that are just, you wonder why they're on your roster, but then on top of it, how are they getting played and not, not press boxed? And that's the mind boggling Paul Maurice stuff where a guy like Matt Hendricks plays and you've got, Nick Patan, you know, as an example, sitting in a press box. And it's it's just head-scratching stuff. 
it was uh is this the uh, best time to be Lily Hanala right now? The best time? Yes. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think he's going to see anything yet. Um they have apparently Logan Stanley had the practice of his life today on the number 2 power play. He was just filling in for um Nate Schmidt and was scoring goals and <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't see that he plays unless there's injuries. And if I'm the Jets, if I'm the Jets, I I keep him with the moose until he's ready to play, play. Because sitting in a press box doesn't help. And they have other guys that could probably come up and sit and play and sit and play. Um yep. until he's ready to be in your top four, I don't get it. And they're not gonna and it's, there's no room for him right now. Not only is there no room, there's no room for him for like multiple years because I think everybody on that blue line has a deal that runs through at least next year. That's right. And so you have you have a question mark what you're going to do with your, your second best prospect, maybe your best prospect, um, who is probably your third best defenseman already. Um, I don't know what they do. And, and they're, I'll, from what I know about Dave Lowry, that's not the coach that's going to get him on the ice. He's that's not his style. And this is where, again, go back to the first conversation we had. I don't see how much changes they have all the same coaches and they have the same philosophy. I don't see um, a massive turnaround, a massive shift. Yeah. Um, see, did you have anything? Um, no, I guess my whole takeaway from this not my whole takeaway, but part of the thing that I guess I wanted to uh, uh, get out there was just as an outsider looking into the uh, and, and listening to Paul Maurice's press conference was, you know, I have a lot of uh, disagreements in like how he coaches this team. And I don't think he did a particularly good job of it, but I, I walked away with that with like more respect for Paul Maurice as a person, I think um, he made a lot of, uh, a lot of comments that stand out that I can't think of right now. I'm going to leave that up to the fact that I'm sick. Uh, but um, <laughs> in the moment I was like, Oh yeah. Okay. That makes sense. That's good. Uh, but you know, I don't know. And I guess it is, I mean, he's, he's right in that there is a shelf life to his job and you only stay in that job for so long, unless, unless you win championships and he has not won championships. I th- doing that job for nine years a bit absurd yeah i think he said a lot of great things at the press conference and i i don't think there's a single person in the city that doesn't like him as a man at the same time i'm not super impressed with um charm you know what i mean um mm-hmm. what what are you doing what's you know let, show me the results and yeah. they're not they're not there and I think a lot of why he got nine years, eight years, nine years is because of that and not because of the job he was doing. And that this is, I always say this, this is show business. It's not show friends. And um, this team loyalty has been the problem for this franchise since the Manitoba, the original Manitoba moose days, they don't move on from people. They like to say family they like to say we're all in this together. They've got guys that were skate sharpeners that are general managers. 
Um, again, Charlie Huddy's apparently on a lifetime contract. Um, it's going to kill them. This loyalty is going to kill this franchise. They hire locally for jobs that should be not hired locally. Um, it's it's scary because you you can't run a business like that. This isn't a you know is it not it's not pop Warner football where where the dads are coaching and and stuff like that. You need that is coaching. <laughs> Literally, right? <laughs> <laughs> so maybe it is Pop Warner football. You know, it's house league. It's, uh, you know, house league hockey here. It really is. And there's a dad coaching in the minors too. Mm. Uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois' dad coaches for the Moose. So, you know, you start, yeah, you start, right? You start questioning what's actually going on. Are they uh, in it for making money? Is that what we're here for? Are you in it to win? We're just here for a good time. All and, and to be fair, hey, to be fair, you're in it to make money, unlike the last Winnipeg Jets team that was here, and sustain a long-term uh, relationship with the city. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Except, as we know, there's only one thing that keeps fans loyal, and that's winning. It's not having the same coach for 10 years. It's not never firing the general manager, that's not what keeps people paying. And for some reason, they think that's what it is. What keeps people paying money, $200 to go to a game, is winning. And, and or enjoying yourself when you're there. And under Paul Maurice, those games got really unenjoyable, win or lose. They were a really crappy hockey team to watch, unless they're down three goals. And then all of a sudden, wow, now you can see the offensive talent and how many times they came back in the third period over the last couple of seasons is remarkable because they got out of the Paul Maurice system and they got into let's play to what we need to do here, which is win the game. And they're so much Mm -hmm. more fun to watch. So there needs to be some tweaking to the, what makes a successful franchise. And, um, (laughs) <laughs> our podcast previous to jet centric the arctic ice uh, Superfans podcast we talked about that on that podcast four years ago five years ago that they were going to start seeing people not going to games attendance dropping because they just didn't do anything for the fan experience and for fun hockey mm. and, and we've seen it well and i would say as a florida resident i've gone to games in both tampa and sunrise and for a while, and I think it's changing a bit now, but for a while, even before the Lightning won their cups, it was just much more fun to go to games in Tampa than it was in Sunrise. And I played out in the attendance and the way the Lightning engaged the city versus how the Panthers engaged their uh, local atmosphere. So I wonder, I wonder if there are some similarities there with the situation in Winnipeg. Connor, I, I like there your, is um, nothing. Hold up, Connor, I like your. Um insinuation that sunrise isn't a city (laughs) (laughs) it's just it's just a place with a mall and an arena it's yeah you park you don't even you don't even pay for parking at the arena you just park at the mall and walk across the street (laughs) yeah that's like uh arizona that's like it's uh going to a coyotes game same thing yeah you go to the you go to the outlet mall and then you (laughs) you walk across (laughs) to the to the rink listen chris this is what it's like to go to a game in florida we went to right, right before the world ended. We like the, went like to, the, one of the last things we did before everything shut down. We went to a uh, Penguins Panthers game in Sunrise. Our mom is from Pittsburgh. She's a big Penguins fan. And we go to the game. We park at the mall. We walk over. 
penguins when we have a good time. We walked back and we said, Hey, let's hit Bahama breeze after the game. So we are in Bahama breeze with a bunch of penguins fans. And then we just get on the highway and leave. That's just what it's like. <laughs> oh yeah. You know, I get it. Like I said, I've been to multiple games in Phoenix, so it's, uh, <laughs> I get it. You just go sit in Buffalo wild wings, 50 feet from the arena after a game, which is crazy that you can even get in. Um, and I've been to a game in Tampa, actually the second, I think it was the jets first year, second year. Um, and there's nothing like that. They get it. The in-game production, mm -hmm. the crowds engaged, they don't give away $25 gift certificates in lieu of a fan of, of playing a music or playing. Um, yeah, they have a live organ. Yeah. And they have like at the second last commercial break, they have like a movie, like a top gun type thing where it's like, yeah. let's go, let's go kick that. You know, um, they don't have anything like that here. And, and they just got, you know, on ice projections as an example, just this year, 10th season. Hmm. you know what i mean and they still don't even know how to do that like you're the jets you don't have a shadow when the sound effect goes across you don't have a jet shadow Ooh, across the yeah. ice you know what i mean something simple like that the coyotes have been doing the the aru for you know 20 years like 25 uh, years like like come on like you know, you know it's bad when the coyotes have a better fan experience they do and there's six thousand people there it's more fun <laughs> The crowd stands up and they do the same dance after the team scores. The season ticket oh, holders cool. do the same, you know, like a Macarena type thing. And, you know, that's it's... A, I like uh, that tradition. That's good. You know, and, 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 and originally what it was, was we don't need gimmicks, right? We don't need that. We're a hockey, yeah. we're a hockey city. We don't, but now... I mean, the, the Winnipeg does the do. whiteout. Yeah, and playoff, that's, that's a whole cool. different, that's a whole different thing. Uh, the that's whiteout, not a gimmick, that's a tradition. It's a tradition. It, there's no free t-shirts. There's, there, you know, you wear your own stuff. It, that's, they don't give you the shirts like they do in Philadelphia um, and Denver and all that stuff, right? Like, it's like, no, no, no. You paint your face. You wear your all whites. Maybe there's a towel. Maybe there's a pom-pom. And that's a different bird. Like, that's, that's fun as anything. 30,000 people on the street outside. That's awesome. Um, but regular season is a tough tough go and there's this old saying about playing the devils on a tuesday in january in in winnipeg um <laughs> nobody wants to go to that game right and uh 10 years well, ago when we got the team want to go play the devils and <laughs> that's right but 10 years ago nobody thought we had seven thousand people on the waiting list for season tickets nobody thought there would ever be an empty seat and even before covid there are empty seats, not unsold seats, but empty seats on, on Tuesday, uh, you know, against New Jersey in January. And, uh, and that's a lot of little things combined. But for me, you know, something like trading Patrick Line is, is an example of not, quote unquote, getting it. That he, he puts you on the edge of your seat mm -hmm. and then you trade him. You play Nick Ehlers on your second power play unit. He plays 15 minutes a night. He's your most exciting player. And you don't get to see it. You know what I mean? Yep. And those are the struggles that a lot of us negative fans have with, with the team, with the coach, and ultimately with the franchise. Yeah, so um, let's pivot to on-ice things. Um, 
I think my frustration with the Jets is, and I think I said this the last time, um, is that it's really hard to pinpoint what exactly is wrong. Um, and, and the things that are wrong are things that have been wrong for years. Um, the big culprit, well, there are two big culprits. Um, one being, um, obviously, well, on the ice. Uh, one being <laughs> well, their team defense. Team building is on the ice. And second is their penalty kill. Um, you know, Connor Hellebuck is one of the best goalies in the league. Um, like at five on five right now, he's one of the best goalies in the league. Um, on the penalty kill, um, not only as a team are the Jets just horrendously bad. Um, Hellebuck's not good either on the penalty kill this year. Um, so, but like those are problems that have existed for at least the last three years, if not longer. Yeah, I think this is where I, I, I know you said you had Brian on the last time as a Jets fan. This is where Brian is a little better than me um, with the stats and kind of those specifics. But for me, there's a couple of details in the penalty killing. Personnel has has been an issue for me. Um, system, of course, is always an issue for any terrible PK, right? I mean, that goes without saying. Um, but when you have a 35-year-old Blake Wheeler coming out as your second penalty, you know, your second group of penalty killers, that's a problem for me. Um, when Logan Stanley's the first guy over the boards killing a penalty, that's a problem for me. Um, so the personnel to me is is ultimately got to change. You've got David Gustafson that's just come up now that is the main penalty killer on the Moose power, uh, PK, which is top 10 in the AHL. He's got to be in there immediately. Um, that's going to help. And it's just same as on their power play. It's just a lot of standing around. It's just a lot of no movement, no energy. And that's something on our podcast. I talked a lot about this year, especially last year or so in general with the team other than Ehlers, there isn't any spark five on five going forward, back checking. And especially on the special teams, it's just all very low energy, uninspired play. Um, so you, there's some, some stuff there that obviously is easily changed. They had a spark two years ago on the PK when Maurice gave up the duties and gave them to Jamie Compon, who has been gone for a significant amount of time and just returned also yesterday. So we could see a bounce back on the PK with him back and hopefully taking over the, the PK coaching and losing Wheeler and adding Gustafson changes your, your personnel a little bit as well. Yeah. I think my frustration with the Jets defensively is that in the off season, they went out and, um, you know, grabbed, Brendan Dillon, they took on his contract too, but they brought him in thinking that he would be a defensively solid defenseman, you know, steady guy. He's been the last few years. Um, you know, when he was a shark, like he and Eric Carlson were great um, in his last full season there. Um, and that hasn't quite happened. Um, you know, and then you know, same with Nate Schmidt. Like the idea was that, all right, you no longer have, you know, fringe NHL guys taking up five of your six yeah. spots defensively. Uh, you know, there's no excuse to have a bad defense this year. And then you look at it and I'm looking at natural stat trick and I'm like, okay, well, the only teams that have a higher 
expected goals against per 60 this year at five on five are Columbus, St. Louis, and Philly. Like, how did we end up in this scenario again? Uh, well, to me, it's the Charlie Huddy factor again. When you're running this, um, this kind of hybrid man-to-man defense that allows for the high shots against, they allow for not only high shot quality, but or high shot quantity, but also high shot quantity and quality. Sorry. I uh, just got the Colts on in the background. So <laughs> a little, a little distracted, but um, so you, you're fighting this losing battle where you're constantly perp. And there was a press conference a couple of years ago where Paul Maurice just came out and said, yeah, we're, we're okay with giving up a ton of shots because they're not high quality. And then you look at the heat maps and you look at some of the, the fancier stats and it's like, those are pretty high quality chances. I don't know what, how you're gauging these, but I don't know how you're okay with this. And well, then he, one of the coaches that pulls out that line, well, the data that we have in house says they're it's different than what to public. Oh yeah. Know. Oh boy. Is it one of is their it, famous it, things? Dude, oh. the uh, the in-house analytics are always nicer, more generous to the team. Than well, the actual here's ones. what I, here's, I don't have an analytical brain, but here's what I believe the Jets do. The Jets say, this is how we want to play hockey. So are our analytics telling us that we're good at that? Rather than what analytics should we be using to make us better at hockey? Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So they, they want they, they have a different calculation they have different values as what helps put the puck in the net right they believe that if you dump and chase and you do this and then you do that and then you do that that leads to more goals hey are we doing that really well whereas colorado obviously does it the other way here's 30 years of data this is what wins hockey games let's go do that yeah um i think my thing with the Jets for like the last few years is I just want them to lean into the bad defense thing. I just want to see them play like some sweet North South hockey. Um, and just, seven, five win games, only seven, five. Yeah. Like just, I, just not even, but like, okay, maybe not don't even bother playing defense, but like we all know Mark Shifley and Kyle Connor and to a slightly lesser extent, like Ellers and, or to a much lesser extent, like, Ellers and um, Dubois, like they're not <laughs> defensively talented players. They're, you know, they're, they're the guys who are, um, you know, fast players who excel when the puck's on their stick. So screw the whole, let's slow the game down and make this a, you know, l- l- let's not um, play a game that makes the late nineties, early two thousands devils proud. Like, you know, let's, let's, let's run and shoot the whole game. You don't have Peyton Manning on your team and run the ball unless it's 38 year old Peyton Manning with the Denver Broncos, right? You don't have Dan Marino and, and run the ball. And this is what, again, what we've been saying. And this is why, like I said earlier, they're so entertaining when they're losing because they go away from that strategy and then they start piling on goals and they come back and win all the time. And it's like, so why would a team that sucks at defense be a defense first team? And then you're bad at it. Whatever you're good at should be your default function, right? I mean, that's, I think a five-year-old knows that. So why are you for not, this is even before Paul Maurice, why is your 
thought process, let's be good at defense when, first of all, you don't even have any good defensemen. And second of all, even when you do have good defensemen, you're not good at it. But you've got seven, eight, sometimes nine forwards that can score at the NHL level. It's mind-boggling. It's just and frustrating. And um, that's why <laughs> we've been so upset about the Paul Maurice era. And then to, to be more of a Debbie Downer, I don't see it changing with, with Dave Lowry. But I agree with you 100%. They should have been for the last four years going, you want to beat us, beat us. Like you guys, the, like sort of like the Leafs, right? Uh, have you guys talked about um, like Dave Lowry is the interim coach, right? Have you guys talked about permanent hires? No, because I think we're scared to <laughs> <laughs> like all hockey men are the same. Like John like, Tortorella, like outside of like, two three or four coaches like all nhl coaches are the same like that's just my general feeling on it to me firing a coach really just means we need a new voice in there more than our tactics suck so can i say something that i haven't said on a podcast in a few years but i believe that um it's just a theory i have about sports in general definitely applies more to hockey than any other sport because it's forced upon the league Parody is the worst thing for a sport. Mm. Parody makes a sport boring because instead of trying to win, you try not to lose. Basketball is the most entertaining sport because there's five or six or seven really good teams every year and they dominate and they have winning records and they're fun to watch. Um, and so you're the, you know, the Detroit Pistons of the last 10 years. Well, too bad. You suck, get better. But we're going to watch the Lakers and the Warriors and the and the Bucks and the Raptors and and there you have it. In the hockey, there's two good teams and everybody else is just as good as the other one. So what are coaches trying to do? Exactly what we've seen in three on three overtime now. Trying not to lose. It was fun the first ten years. It's not fun anymore, right? Because the coaches have figured out a way to dumb it down, and that's what the whole league has done with the way they do the loser point, not three points for a win, all of these things, and they talk about how great parody is it sucks it ruins everything it, it it if there was a team if there were two teams running away with the central the jets would have to and it was hard to get into the playoffs the jets would have to change their style of play but now it's just like let's we can hang in there you can make the playoffs as a 500 team or close to it right when you take in loser points so it ruins the sport excitement level it might make a game here and there more exciting because they're close, but it dumbs down the sport way more and it waters it down way more. And it, and it drives me nuts. I think that has more to do with the people making decisions than that does like the structure itself. Uh, so like we talked about all the hockey men are the same. Well, they're the same because they keep hiring the same 50 head coaches over and over again. Uh, and then when they but do, it's when they do hire someone new, it's Dave Haxel. Right, but good. here's the thing. So if you're a hockey coach, you're not going to get fired in a season if you're losing 3-2 every night or 2-1 every night. But if you're losing 7-4 and winning 7-4, you'll get fired in one season. So the coaches, like you say, there's no difference in them because they all want to just hedge their bet. It's sort of like being a politician <laughs> and and working to be reelected rather than working for your constituents, right? 
It's sort of the same thing. They're working to keep their job. Um, and sometimes a guy like John Cooper says, comes in and says, no, 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 I'm working to win a cup and I, and we're going to do that. And isn't it funny that he's not one of the 200 hockey men, right? So you, I agree with you that it's, it's not necessarily, but on the other hand, it, it's, it's the easiest way. That's why it's the same 35 coaches. I would put John Torrell in that club of 200 hockey men. I don't No, uh, Cooper, John Cooper. Oh, John Cooper. Sorry. Well, he should be now. Yeah, but he's still always going to be different because of what he's done. He's not doing it the way the other guys do it, right? Lenny's held on to a job for more than four years, so. I'm just speaking in generality (laughs) about John Cooper, right? Right? He's a guy that's not doing it like Elaine Vigneault and Paul Maurice, and he's doing it differently. And he's not a hockey guy. Hmm. Same as in, we've seen it in baseball, right? where most of the general managers now aren't baseball play- That's the other thing, right? Are the upper management in hockey is all hockey players. Yeah. All of them, every single one of them. And it's crazy. Like just because you played the sport doesn't mean you understand what makes a team good and what makes you more likely to win a game. It just That's doesn't. Fair. It just doesn't mean that. But Mark Shifley is a perfect example. Oh, analytics are stupid. They don't, they're so, so dumb, blah, 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 blah. Well, what do you mean? How, like, explain that side of it. <laughs> I think getting back to your main argument about parity, I think it would serve the league well to come up with a different uh, point. How do I uh, point standing system? Because mm-hmm. right now, with the loser point, everybody everybody's more or less in the competition, as you said, right? If they do something more like three points for a win and one point for an overtime loss. Okay. Now you can separate some of the teams out more. That's um, right. And how I do think, you invent a point? Shouldn't the games just be worth a right. certain amount of point? Yeah. Each game should be three points. Not and two points. Divide, yeah, that's right. And then divide it up some way because there should only be a hundred and whatever it is, 174 points available for the whole season for one team. Right. Yeah. So Not, the way they've got it right now is, it keeps it, it keeps everybody in the competition way longer than they. Should. You could never win a game and make the playoffs. Listen, I, I will. Um, if you I will just always. Win, if you just lose in overtime, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> nah, eighty-two points is not going to get you into the playoffs unless everybody in your conference is having a shitty year. But well, um, I was going to say my in the Pacific. I, I will always. <laughs> hey, man, the Pacific's doing pretty well. This year. Yeah, Pacific's having the year yeah. this year. Um, okay. we, we don't have any like elite elite teams, I guess Vegas, but um, if they're not, but they're not doing well. Yeah, but we don't really have like since we um, booted the Coyotes, we don't have any you know crappy teams in there either. Um, but Kings are pretty bad. No, they're not. It's a lot of parity in that Pacific Division. Yeah, yeah, the Sharks are hanging around. Mm. Proud of them. <laughs> but I was for one. Um, before I take it another direction, the three two one zero. Um, format is the best NHL format. And second, um, the, the last point I wanted to make was the one I made on Twitter, um, was that at the very least, um, if I'm glad to see that the Jets are at least trying something different mm-hmm. because over the last few years, they've been kind of, um, you know, the whole thing of like, we've tried nothing and, uh, we don't really, you know, we've run out of things to try. Right. 
Um, yeah, we, we, we've tried nothing and we're all out of ideas. I 100% and, agree. You know, because you had the same coach and the same GM for the greater part of a decade. Um, so to at least move on from one half of them is at least a little refreshing. Yeah. And for about five hours, I felt really good about that. Like, Hey, let's have some optimism and let's, you know, um, because at least, you know, it's not the game last night. Isn't going to look like every other game for the last four years. And then it did. Um, and then you start looking at Dave Lowry and I'm not trying to say, Oh, it's a write off this and that, but talking to a couple people, he's not a very good coach and his track record doesn't support that. He's a good coach. Um, he coached the world Canadian world junior team, I think 2016 and they finished sixth. And if you look at that roster, they probably were the best roster in the whole tournament. Yeah. Um, you know, so you, that was the year after the 2015 draft. So that makes sense. Yeah. And, uh, so you start worrying right away. I had somebody that I trust immensely their hockey knowledge say, we're going to miss Maurice in a month with Lowry being the coach. Uh, that's saying mm-hmm. something that's, you know, and, and this not to harp on it, but this goes back to what I was saying about the loyalty thing. I find it really hard to see a scenario in which after the season's over, they bring back, say, Jamie Compon and bring in four new coaches, including a head coach. And even if they do that, that's a name. If the only coach I can see them bringing in is Pascal Vincent from Columbus, who was the former Jets assistant Moose head coach, um, it'll be internal. And, the, and by internal, he's an external guy, of course, right now, but that's still, to me, an internal hire. Um, I don't see them. It, for a simple fact of the matter, that they didn't go after Boudreau in, over the last two seasons when they could have, when he's been sitting at home, Mm -hmm. if you don't, if you're not willing to go after him, what are you willing? What are you? (laughs) He's he's a top three, four coach in the NHL. And they, they let their coach resign two weeks after he gets a new job. That's crazy to me. Yeah. So um, I I kind of wanted to wrap things up because we've been going on for a while. Um, Sorry. No, I'm known to do that. This is good. No, this this is good (laughs) stuff. Like, before we wrap up, can I just throw something out there? I know this is, uh, we're talking about the Jets right now, but a thought occurred to me. Okay. And at the risk of, I'm afraid to speak this into existence, no, no. but for the sake of content, I feel like I should put this out here. Philadelphia Flyers head coach, Paul Maurice. Uh, I don't know, man. I, 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 I don't like it, but it's a thought that occurred to me and I felt like, what, what are they doing right now? Well, and this goes back to my right when you asked, are the Jets better now than when, uh, when you know, when he got here? What are the Flyers doing right now? Um, if they need a kick in the ass for, for two seasons, yeah, sure. He's not going to bring them anywhere, but he can get them out of last, where I don't think anybody thinks they should be in last place, right? Um, well, but the, he can some make of the nerds do, but. Yeah, and that's I think that I think a know, lot of that has to do with X's and O's and not necessarily the talent. Um, because uh you were talking about dump and chase hockey. Elaine Vigneault was very dump and chase heavy. Yeah. And it just it just didn't work. Um he can bring them to average, right? There's no question. He's the most oh, average coach it, in the NHL. With and that's with Carter Hart thing. with Carter sure. Hart playing as well as he has been, 
Yeah, sure. yeah no problem. And he can do that without a goalie. He wrote Archer's Herbe for 78 games one year in Carolina. Yeah, I mean, he, he he can do it. with. He can make your team 15th overall overnight, guaranteed. Hmm. And look at his coaching record. He's a five four ninety six or something win percentage coach over just, 26 years, right? Like, I'm just concerned that like we're going to see the same issues that we saw in Winnipeg, particularly when it comes to the younger players. Um, that's an issue. But like, that's an issue. The defense on the Flyers is bad, and they don't have uh, they don't really have that much. Like, they would have to bring in players to improve that defense. Um, so eventually one of their prospects, Cam York, will be ready to make that jump. And if Paul Maurice is at the head of that ship, is what Cam kind York def- going to get a chance? What kind of defenseman is he? Is he six foot is he six foot five and a and a net front presence or is he uh Kale McCarr? Um, well he's he's, he's not Kale McCarr. Um, okay so if he's, he's a proto- I would say he's kind of proto he does a, a good mix of both um, but not necessarily excelling at one or the other good with the puck so, on his stick. If he's uh, a big, if he's a big body, mm-hmm. uh, you're, he's fine. Okay. Uh, like, because that's what he, he's so traditional, right? That's why Logan Stanley's in the lineup because he's yeah. a big body and he, he, he played big minutes for the, for the uh, farm team. <laughs> this was something that Charlie yeah. Huddy said at an open mic uh kind of state of the union open house thing was stands ready because he played big minutes and we were really good the second half of the year. That's how the Jets judge defensive talent. He played a lot on a team that won that played 700 hockey. Hmm. Reminds me of um no no mention of how well he played. There was but he um, played a lot. There was one tweet in the preseason this year that was like I thought Duncan Keith played well today. He had 26 minutes or something. Right. And it's like, same thing. That doesn't mean anything. Nope. Well, I mean, all I, that I, means is that the coach thinks he played well. Right. And, and that, again, this is where the whole hockey culture is, 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 is crazy right now because you have the tools available to you um, to make those easy calls is he helping your team or is he hurting them it's it's pretty simple stuff um duncan keith is a is the number one example some guys can get better uh, i've heard that cody cc is having a pretty good season this year and everybody's you know great but are you are you willing to take that chance i don't think so <laughs> like I'm, i wouldn't touch him with a 10-foot pole great that he had a comeback season but the numbers probably are aren't going to change and and at a certain point they're probably going to go back down so i I, again this is what happens when you have men with cte running your hockey team that only know one thing and that's well that's how i played the game and i'm not making light of cte the point is is that they're not um doesn't make you very it doesn't mean you're smart because you're good at a sport um yeah um did you have any closing thoughts well um try to uh, <laughs> i tried to be more positive than than usual it never happens because uh the inbox i got from from that guy last night about uh, dave lowry really just threw me for a loop and um and i kind of knew it earlier the, the whole coaching staff needs to be 
rethought um, because this team, uh, we talked about it on one of the live episodes yesterday. Um, I, do I think that the Winnipeg Jets, as constructed, are a Stanley Cup contender? I don't. Do I think with the right line combinations, a good coach, improved special teams, that they could fluke their way to a final? 100% with the roster they have. I think they have as good of a roster as you need to get to the finals. Um, so could that happen? I'm open to it. Um, if they make the right changes and hopefully that this coaching change does that. Cool. Um, yeah. So where can our incredible listeners at home find you? Well, we would like you to listen. We're on every platform at Jet Centric. Um, our real bread and butter is our awesome Twitter account. So follow our Twitter account for sure. It's Jet Centric. I believe it's just Jet Centric. And you can follow me at CMAC Live if you like really funny, hilarious jokes, um, sneakers, and um, John Bellion and shitting on the Winnipeg Jets. Sorry for my language. <laughs> yeah, and then uh so you can find us um on Twitter at uh grit per 60 pod. Uh you can follow me on Twitter at bferrell 727. You can follow TC on Twitter at TC underscore nine zero four. Um thank you all again for listening and have a good one.